You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. One of my favorite things to do is drive the countryside and just look at the terrain, maybe even pull the binos out and look for some deer. If I see something I like, whether that's a terrain feature or late season standing corn or a big buck standing in a field, I'll pull up my map, I'll find out who the landowner is, one of the functions of Onyx, and I'll go knock on their door and try to gain access to that property. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose. But having that feature available to instantly know who owns that piece of property can be a game changer in maybe a late season hunt or getting access to shed hunt it or even it becoming one of your main properties to hunt. And then maybe you find out a little secret about that property that it has backdoor access or the neighboring farm is the same landowner as a a friend from high school. And it's really cool just to sit on that map and scour the landowners, seeing if you know them, seeing what's changed over the years and potentially trying to get access to hunt. If you want to find out more information about Onyx, visit your local app store and download the app today or go to the Onyx website for more information. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we are joined by the publisher of the Iowa Sportsman Magazine and website, Patrick McKinney, and the conversation today revolves around late season strategy and tactics, basically a good reminder conversation about do's and don'ts for hunting the late season. We talk about food sources, we talk about uh, bedding areas, cover, uh, we talk about clothing, we talk about going to the restroom from your tree stand or ground blind. Uh, lots of good conversation, lots of good information. Even if you are an experienced hunter, it's always good to have these little reminder conversations that say, oh, I forgot I forgot about that. I need to make sure I do this or I do that or I need to look for this. Uh, so uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. But Before we get into this podcast, we got to remind you all to go visit the Bondurant Custom Furniture website, BondurantCustomFurniture.com, and take a look at all of the custom furniture pieces that these guys create. It's, uh, they're very good at what they do. Go to their website, BondurantCustomFurniture.com, go to their gallery and just take a look at everything that these guys make. One of their specialties is they take old whiskey barrels and they refurbish them into tables and chairs and pieces of art and lighting fixtures you name it these guys can do it so bondurantcustomfurniture.com check it out all right we've done our commercial now let's get into today's late season podcast with patrick mckinney All right, joining me today is the publisher of the Iowa Sportsman Magazine, Mr. Patrick McKinney. How's it going, man? Good. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I can't complain. I I blinked 
and November's long gone. And <laughs> although I hunted 13 days in a row during the rut, it just I felt like bow season didn't even happen this year. Yeah, I I, I kind of know the feeling. It's uh, it seems like that happens more often than not nowadays. So. <laughs> right, right. It's it's hard to even get focused on hunting with you know family and work and um, you kind of I don't know how because you run the 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 business you and your family run the Iowa Sportsman magazine so it's not like you really get any days off. No, that's that's true. It's it's pretty much every single day uh, we're doing something. And then you mentioned family life um as the kids get older they've got more and more stuff to do and it's it um, makes hunting a bit more tricky to get planned and, and get out there but um yeah managed to do that so i'm well, not complaining <laughs> you uh you sent me a picture of a buck that you killed this year great deer uh talk to me a little bit about the, this buck that you shot yeah it was um my bow season overall was it was uh, a really good one. Um, I got out more than I usually do. Um, saw probably more bucks than I've seen down in our property in the last ten years. Um, some really really great ones um, that didn't make it their way into into bow range, but then probably oh dozens of just up and comers that will be really good bucks um, next year and and a few years down the road. So that. That was nice to see. Um, it doesn't always happen like that, like I said. But um, yeah. I think November 3rd, I was in the stand and was seeing great movement uh, the whole the whole uh, weekend. And this buck, uh, he was an eight-pointer, um, really tall brow tines. Uh, just a beautiful buck. Um, I seen him probably, oh, really early in the morning um off in the distance and he was he was grunting and, and chasing those and kind of shooing off uh other bucks and then he just disappeared for oh i don't know a couple hours went by and i had a doe come across the field uh right underneath my stand i, I could have dropped a rock right on her back and she kind of wandered off and then 30 minutes went by and i heard some grunting and noise off across the field where the doe had come from and sure enough here comes the eight pointer that i that i shot just following her path uh right on a line and he came right the same path right underneath me and i i, I waited because i didn't have a good shot he was coming straight on at me and i waited and i waited and i waited and he was just milling around underneath the stand and i didn't want to shoot straight down at him yeah so he milled around there for what seemed like, you know how it is, 20 or 30 minutes, but it was probably like five minutes. And then he circled around and kept following the path that that doe did. And he ended up behind me at a 20-yard quartering away shot. That was the end of that. Nice. I took the shot and put him down. So, yeah, it was, like I said, a really great season, and it, and it ended really well with a, with a cool hunt and a, a nice buck. Yeah. So a majority of the state was kind of battling, and this is what I have heard through Facebook, different Facebook pages, and uh, just talking with hunters throughout the state. And I know that um, I come from the the southern part of the state, and you're up there in the Fort Dodge area. Um, did you have to battle any standing crops this year? Um, up here, it wasn't actually. 
did I take that back? It was is uh, I don't hunt up near Fort Dodge that much. I hunt okay. down in by Creston Creston Isle, but um, I can I'll discuss both sides of it. Yeah, up here the corn was in a lot later than it usually is. Um, it's a lot flatter up here, and usually it's out well before the rut comes around. Um, now down south, West Island and Creston, we battle that every single year. It's uh, it's more um, hilly terrain, um, rolling hills, and it's tougher to to farm down there. And where we hunt, we've always got to battle corn, and it's always an obstacle we face because you, you know the deer are hiding out in there. Yeah, um, and it's just it's just more cover. It's just like adding timber to more timber. So yeah, you know. but yeah, I've heard that all across the state too. It's it's been one of those years where the crops were late and a little bit more difficult to probably see all the deer around your property yeah and that that played a huge impact on on my rut this year i mean i just didn't see you know i had my tree stands in some really good locations and typically in the past they have provided excellent deer movement in these areas and man when you're talking about thousands of acres of standing corn within a mile from the property that you hunt it just they're not concentrated anymore like they normally are no. in the timber and uh man i just battled that and luckily i got an encounter with a nice mature buck but um it just was kind of a grind of just two-year-olds i mean all i saw was two-year-olds what i felt like was yeah. like 10 days and uh, then finally this boy popped out and uh, i got an opportunity at him but uh, i know a lot of guys were battling standing crops with all that said now uh, are on some of the properties that you're hunting do you feel like the, uh, the crops have since come out? Uh, actually, no, they, <laughs> they haven't. Um, we were down there and it was, it was probably around where we hunt. Um, probably about 300 acres of, of standing corn still in. Yeah. And yeah, so it's, I don't know. I don't know what they do if they claim crop insurance on it or what, but we've seen, We've seen corn in there all year round, and they come in in the spring and, and do what they need to do with it. So it's yeah. it's it's tricky down there. But I was very surprised with the number of bucks I, I did see during bow season with all the standing corn. It, yeah. it was just it was one of those years. Usually, usually they hang out in the corn, and and it's difficult to uh, see that many bucks. But for whatever reason, yeah, I guess it was a kind of a a great year for for whatever reason. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so you mentioned something about opening shotgun season for uh first season is we're, we're, we are recording this on friday what's the date today uh i don't even know this is sad uh, today is the 13th all right friday the 13th we're recording this on friday the 13th and uh second season shotgun opens tomorrow uh did you do you guys do shotgun hunting at all um we used to how oh, it's probably been we used to do all the time. Um, then we took probably a six, seven year break. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know. Um, but then this year I actually did, um, take a buddy out and went down to our property, um, by Maxburg, Iowa and, and went for season shotgun again. So, yeah. um, it wasn't, <laughs> we didn't have that much success. Um, I'm more into, uh, with two guys, I was, we had the plan of just sitting and waiting and we didn't have that much property to hunt. And we have over like um, 160 acres down there. Yeah. And if we push that, then we're done for the day. And we didn't want to be done after an hour. So we just kind of sat around all day and, and saw some 
decent deer, but we were kind of waiting for for a mature deer, but that never kind of, that never that opportunity never happened. So it was um it was good just to get back out yeah. um during the first season, and and it's really kind of cool to see all the hunters and because I mean the hunters were out, they were everywhere. Um, every every lane you go to, they were bunch of hunters pushing pushing the timber yeah it was it's always fun to to hear the uh the shots go off too it's we had one uh group to the south of us that i think the guy must have had a really extended tube in because it was like 10 shots in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so do you, did you end up driving that property then oh uh, yeah so um yep so we sat um saturday all day um, and then, um, we were going to kind of mill around and kind of push it, um, towards each other, but we waited and, and decided, well, we don't want to do that yet. Cause we'll just, hopefully everybody around us is pushing gear into our property and we'll come back tomorrow morning and kind of sit and mill and wait again. Yeah. And then Sunday evening, we, um, we pushed it and pushed out some good deer. Um, but again, we were after, after a mature deer and, and we just didn't see one that we wanted to take a shot at. Yeah. So in the past, uh, have you guys been part of like a, a big group of people? Cause my, my, yeah. sh- my shotgun experience has been uh, big deer drives. And then I, one year I almost got shot and that was the last year I ever like did anything with a deer drive, uh, during shotgun season. And it, a fish, you know, up until last year, it was the, last time that i ever bought a shotgun tag yeah it's i'm glad you brought that up because that's that's what we used to do all the time um we used to have at least seven of us if if not more and then we had a lot more property to push back in the day and that's how it was we would we would push them and and you know how it goes you yeah it's a good way of getting uh, a lot of shots at, at deer but um and I'm not saying anything bad about party hunting and, and pushing, but yeah. um, I had kind of the same similar experience. And that's probably why I took a little hiatus. Is we had some people in the group that honestly probably shouldn't have been there, and, and shots were getting a little too close. And like I finally just said, okay, um, I'm going to take a little bit of a break, and and we can do this thing down the road when when and we'll just sit and kind of hunt like we do. Yeah, archery season, but yeah. but like I said, it, it's it's not bad at all. Um, I I have nothing bad against pushing deer, and, and I think it's a great great time to get with friends and family and and have a deer camp and, and reminisce. But sometimes it's just not for for me, so I take a little break from it. Yeah, yeah. I tend to uh, let the property that I bow hunt. They have a group of guys that go there through it first season, and they have another group of guys that go through it second season. And by the time the season is over uh the the property has just been pounded and pounded and pounded uh during the shotgun season and uh and then the deer just go uh, there there's hardly any deer sign on that property unless like this year we have some standing corn in the area which the deer tend to kind of funnel back into the property after deer season after the shotgun seasons are over and for the most part, they're nocturnal unless you can get a really big cold front come through uh, and get them to 
get them on their feet and, and come through. And this, by the way, this is all a, a big transition into what we're talking about today. But, uh, but typically my late season bow hunts on the farm that I hunt aren't even worth it unless you want to kill a spike. And, uh, uh, so the, the property just completely changes with all this pressure, uh, from, from November to the end of December. And, um, and then we're talking here now about this late season. And, uh, this is the big transition into this article, uh, that, uh, you put out on the Iowa sportsman web website that I wanted to talk about. And it's 20 tips, uh, about, you know, being successful for late season. And I don't think we're going to cover all 20 tips today, but I really do want to talk about, you know, some of the, the big things that we all need to remember during this late season time frame. If you want to maybe do late season muzzleloader, or if you're, if you find a piece of unpressured property for shotgun season, or even if you're going to pick your bow back up and get in. So what are your, what are your thoughts on late season as far as strategy is concerned? Yeah, it's um, late season's really taken off. Uh, it's probably in the last 10 years or so where it really started to get popular, probably more so with muzzleloader. Uh, I, I know the guys that didn't uh, harvest a, a buck early uh, archery still get out there and do it, but uh, for the most part, uh, it can extend your range quite a bit with the muzzleloader, and, and that's what people are really starting to do a lot. It's There's a really, really good chance of, of harvesting a mature buck during late season. Um, I, I wouldn't say as good as during the rut, but, but pretty close. If you follow some, some of the, uh, the tactics or the tips and, and strategies that kind of this article, um, covers. And, and when it comes to late season, you kind of hinted on it already, uh, with mentioning corn, um, food is king. Uh, it, it is, um, they're out, they've lost nearly 30%, if not more of their body weight. And <laughs> that's kind of shocking to think about within two months, they, they've dropped that much pounds that many pounds, but if you think about it, they've been pressured for what the last two months. Uh, it, the rut takes a lot out of them. Um, being chased up and down um, during the shotgun season takes a lot out of them. And so now they're trying to get that, that, that weight back on and, and so they can make it through the next um, two harsh, next three uh, harsh winter months here in Iowa. So uh, number one thing late season is find a good source of food. Yeah. Um, and find, I'll probably find multiple sources because deer, deer will eat the, the thing they like the most, but then if that's not available, they'll, they'll move on to, to something else. So if you have food around, that's, that's number one. That's the first thing that you should look for. Yep. Yep. So one thing that I've noticed uh, in the timber is the amount of snow that's on the ground. And it's almost like you, you kind of are reverting in a way back to your early season strategy where, you know, they're not moving till dark. They are looking, you know, they, they may still have ample food in the, the timber, like the honeysuckle leaves that, you know, those bushes that are green all year round or, uh, acorns. If you had a big acorn year and there's no snow on the ground, these deer don't necessarily need to head out and go, uh, you know, go to these, these food sources, these, these big destination food sources, like a standing cornfield. If there are thousands of acorns all over the forest floor and green leaves to eat, 
Uh, because one thing that I've noticed is if there is a green food source, even this time of year, that's, you know, that they, that they can eat, they're going to be on that green food source almost as much as they would a standing uh, cornfield if there's no snow on the ground. What, what's your experience with that? Yeah, it's um, pretty much similar. Um, if, and, and this is kind of where scouting comes into play too, but we can touch on that later. Um, you've got to find the food source that they're using. And, and down where we hunt, um, we, we hunt a stand of oak trees that drops a ton of acorns, and, and they hit it during late season. Um, even before the the picked bean fields or the picked corn fields, they'll, they'll hit that first, it kind of seems throughout the day, and then later at night, they kind of start venturing out into the into the pit field. So yeah, it's it's um, a variety of food sources and, and knowing what they're going to do on those food sources throughout the day, uh, which ones they're going to visit first versus which ones they kind of venture to after um, after it starts to get a little bit darker out. Yeah. Do you notice? Uh, I shouldn't say do you notice, but do do you change your tree stand locations based off of whether or not there's snow on the ground? Let's say like no snow, or just a trace of snow versus like eight inches ground covering snow. No, we've never really um, did that uh, that strategy. Do you, do you do it quite a bit? Well. I, you know, I'd like to say I've, I've hunt, I hunt a lot of late season, but I typically don't just because my trail cameras don't show anything worth shooting. Uh, once the shotgun seasons are over, right. I, if yeah. I, if I go out, I'm more interested in trying to knock down a doe to fill the freezer. But, uh, if I, you know, I just, what I'm starting to see is trends over the years where, you know, October 1st to October 15th, there's not a ton of daylight movement on, on the farms that I hunt. And that's the same thing with, you know, you look at, you look at October, November, December as this big bell curve with deer movement being at its peak during the peak of the rut. And then it, as the rut dies down, so does the deer movement up, you know, and then eventually we get to this point where the, the breeding season's over and now they're back to that bed to feed routine, just like they are at the beginning of the year. So sure. I, what I've been thinking about lately is just trying to get, uh, trying to go back to some of these early season locations in some of, cause, cause me, I'm not a field edge hunter. I don't, I don't like to hunt field edges unless I pot, unless I absolutely have to, because early right. season, if, the, if you're on a field edge, they're not getting to you until dark. Same with late season for the most part, unless you have this huge cold front, you have an unpressured property and uh, you have standing corn. Let's just say those, those three things. And my property is pressured uh, for the most of the year. I don't have standing corn. And then the deer are they're If they're even on the property, they're not coming out until after dark. So I just, I, I'm, I'm curious if the amount of snow on the ground has anything to do with when they actually come out to these destination food sources, if they come out earlier or if, you know, it'd be worth my time going in a little deeper and cut them off at like a staging area or a, uh, or, you know, right outside their bedding area to hopefully get them on their feet with just the shredded daylight left. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head uh, with bringing up um, 
deer aren't so much lazy uh, during late season. They're, they're just smart. Uh, they're trying to conserve that energy, so they're, they're going to bud really close to a food source. And, and I, personally, I don't think they're going to move unless they absolutely have to. So um, you might be onto something of, of moving stands back away from the field edge in a staging area um, or in a, in a kind of transition area closer to a bedding area than you would usually get to. Um, that would probably be a, a really good idea. Yeah. So, uh, do you, when there is a lot of snow on the ground, do you ever do some new scouting? Like, uh, basically using the snow as indicators of where the deer are moving and then setting up off that, or are you going to historically good tree stand locations? No, uh, we, when we late season hunt, we, uh, we always, uh, I said food's num- probably the number one tip and ta- tactic or strategy. Um, but a close second's got to be scouting. Yeah. Um, the old adage goes, if, if you want to shoot a big buck, you got to find a big buck. And, yeah. that, and that's really true in the late season. We'll, we'll take, we'll take a, probably a day worth, days worth of hunting and trade that into, um, trade that in for scouting just to see if we can't locate, um, locate a mature buck. Uh, in the area now we might not see it but we can we can tell by sign or we can we'll move some trail cameras around and see if we can get something on you get a photograph of it but yeah scouting is, is really really important yeah and, and then if if we need to then we'll we'll adjust accordingly and, and and set up where we need to where we think we we've located a mature buck the, the best way is for us down down south west Isle is seeing if we can't just glass the, the hillside um in, in the later evening hours Guy. and if something comes out so with that said then um are are you guys what kind of terrain features uh are, are let me let me back up even just a bit further are you planting any food plots on your on your farms we do a little bit um it's kind of tough because there's not a lot of area for us to do so it's mostly it's got um big timber to the south that we have an agreement with um a landowner that we hunt but then our property kind of kitty corners up to it and it's uh half cropland and then kind of like um fingers of timber coming out coming out through it so there's not a lot of, of area that we can do it we've got one small plot in this year um but then other than that it's just kind of thinking that the the uh, cropland is kind of a food plot in itself and and hopefully that will suffice for us yeah so you're either relying on uh the the crop field being the late season food source but you're not necessarily planting any food plots that are for late season right no we aren't um i wish we could um that would be that would be great because i know a lot of people do that and have a a lot of success with with late season food plants yeah i know a couple guys who who have lease properties where they instead of planting a food plot they will you know the farmer will start combining his field they figure out what the bushels per acre are and then they'll have an agreement with the uh, landowner to say okay i want you to leave you know an acre or two of standing corn up and i'll pay you market value 
for what you're getting bushels per acre. And then the farmer just comes and, you know, leaves that much standing corn. Have you ever thought about doing that on the properties that you hunt? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, we actually have done that in the years past. It's, it's really a, a smart idea. It's, it's a great way to, to leave some food for the deer for, throughout the year and, and kind of hopefully draw them in. But yeah, um, we, we've done it before. And then, um, I've got a few buddies that do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and it, it makes sense. Are the farmers pretty open to that concept? Uh, the, the one we are, the one we deal with is, yeah. um, but, um, cause we, we, uh, cash rent out our, our, uh, cropland down there. And so we've, we've known him, known him for a long time. And he's, he's really easy to, really easy to deal with. And I think for the most part, um, it's probably hit or miss, but for the most part, most farmers would at least listen to the idea yeah. and they're still going to get paid market value for it. So yeah. Yeah. Now it's, I don't know if it makes any inconvenience for them down the road, but, but we've had good luck with it. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any, anything else as far as strategy is concerned, uh, where, where you're sitting, what you're doing, uh, throughout the late season to try to, you know, connect with uh, a deer. Uh, one of the big things is, and I don't know if we mentioned it before, is we, we like to find that thick, um, really deep, dense, thick cover on our property. Um, we mentioned that the bucks are not lazy. They're just smart, and, and they will seek out the, the thickest cover they can and, and next to a, a food plot. And we, we've got a bunch of spots on our property that, that provide that, and it seems like that's where the, the majority of our mature buck sightings are is around deep, thick, dense cover next, or not next to, but close to, close to a food plot, or not food plot, but food source. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, what kind of cover would you say? Are we talking like a cedar thicket or just really thick, nasty vegetation overall? Um, uh, both. We've got, we've got a really great, uh, cedar thicket on the south hillside there that uh, they just love to spend time in, um, not only during late season, but pretty much all, all season long. And then we've also got several patches of just that nasty vegetation overgrowth that the bucks just love. They'll, they'll sit there all day if they have to. And you would you could walk five yards and be right next to them and really never see them if, if you didn't know what you were looking for. And they, they just let you walk right by. So what have you noticed over the years as uh, just a hunter in general about how deer behavior changes from, you know, the rut where we all say they're stupid and they, you know, you can make a, a mistake like clinking metal in the tree or coughing or, you know, to the point where you're even taking a shot, missing a deer, getting a separate, separate opportunity right then and there, as opposed to you know, other times of the year, what, what, what have you noticed about their, their actual behavior? Uh, I would say during late season, you better have your A game on because if you make a mistake, it's, it's probably over with. And these deer have been pressured for October through, well, even youth season. So late September through the end of December. So if, if you make a mistake, uh, it's game's probably over. (laughs) They, they are skittish and, they will be on the move very quickly. Yeah. Um, now, um, you can make mistakes during archer season too, and the game's over. Yeah. 
know how that goes. But they, they're just overall more fittest, and, and rightfully so. I mean, if we were being chased for two months in a row, we'd be skittish as well. So. Yeah. Definitely changes. It, it, that that makes – I mean, even though you, a lot of people use a muzzleloader and they can extend that range, um, the mistakes will still catch up to you. Uh, and, and deer deer are smart, so they will they will be gone if mistakes are made. Yeah. Do you uh, tend to change up your scent control at all, or do you just amplify it at this time of year? I I amplify it. I, I probably just keep the same thing going. Um, I know a lot of people kind of back off if they use muzzleloader, but I don't want to take the chance. Um, so I I just I keep doing what I was doing during archery season. It's more of a habit anymore <laughs> than than anything else. So yeah, um, I. I don't want to take that chance of, of my scent being dispersed downwind and, and losing an opportunity. So I keep going with what I do. Yeah. So <laughs> this, this November, it was actually, there was like three days there where it was extremely cold. And we're talking about the, you know, negative temperatures, you know, when I was walking into the tree stand in the morning, do you have any tips, tricks, about staying warm in the tree stand? <laughs> uh, I hate cold weather. Yeah. <laughs> um, dressing layers is probably my best tip. Um, it, if you can keep your core warm, you'll have, have a better chance. And that heat kind of gets trapped within those layers and it'll at least keep your, your, your core and your, your body warm. But when it comes to like hands and, and feet, I'm looking for tips myself because that's the first thing to go on me. I've got 2000 insulin, um, boots and I've, my feet always go numb. No, no matter if it's 30 degrees or, or 10 below, I, yeah. I can't seem to keep my feet warm. So, and, and I've tried putting, um, I've tried putting those little, uh, hand warmers in my boots, but that never works because yeah. uh, it needs, it needs, it needs air to activate and you're not getting any air in your boots. And then, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if there's any, anyone has advice for me, I will, I will listen because well, I got, I I got cold, some advice. Cold feet and cold hands. All right. I, I changed my game up this year and I was wearing a really big bulky, uh, the, the lacrosse alpha burly pro, uh, big rubber boots. Um, I think I had, yep, that's what I have. Yeah. 200 or two big thick uh, wool socks and then put them in the boot and just like you every late season hunt or you know cold temperatures would just you know freeze my feet out and once my feet go the rest of my body go and I'm not even having fun anymore and I just want to leave right yeah once your feet goes and mine go <laughs> yeah yeah so this year instead of wearing my big alpha burly pros I wore another boot from lacrosse. Uh, it's called the Atlas uh, boot, and it had very low insulation, and I wore two pairs, again, of wool socks, but I would walk to my tree stand, and then when I would get to the tree stand, I would put on these uh, boot covers from a company called Arctic Shield, and I'm telling you right now, it changed everything. It changed the game. I, my, my feet were maybe a little balmy, but never cold and that allowed me to keep my stay in the stand way longer throughout the day as opposed to getting down at like nine o'clock and uh, especially on those 
the one day where it was negative seven when I got to my tree stand, I took two foot uh, foot warmers, put one in each uh, boot cover, and right on right on the toe of my boot, and it got a little cold, but bearable cold. And I it I will not probably go back to a big rubber boot as far as unless I have to cross a creek or something like that. And even then, uh, you know, I'll find a way around whatever I need to go. I think that changed the game as far as I actually went to a small or a less insulated boot, put the, uh, the boot cover on, and it worked all year long. No issues. Yeah, I've seen that. You said Arctic Shield. Yeah, Arctic Shield is one of them. There's other brands out there as well. Yeah, yeah, I've seen brands like that, and I've always wondered if it if it would help out. I kind of I'm I'm a little leery on on what I call gimmick products, but yeah. it, it makes sense. I mean, add an extra layer of warmth to your body, and you're going to be warmer. So add another layer to your boots, and and your feet will be warmer. Yeah, and I think what what happens. You just told me then. Yeah. And I think what happens a lot is you get the, the rubber on your rubber boot freezes and then it don't matter how, what kind of air you have moving through your boot, it's up against frozen rubber and that with standing on a frozen tree stand and, or in a ground, you know, frozen ground, it's just inevitable. And I think what the, the boot does is it traps the heat from your foot in that in that and it there's just this membrane it's not it's not real thick and it just keeps the the cold conditions away from your your boot and i don't know man it, it's i i will do this every year now no that makes sense to me yeah yeah so makes complete sense whatever me, can keep you out long you a good thing. So yeah. Now, like I said, you, you may have just sold me on the product. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about layers? Um, I, I'll just kind of share what I do real quick. I'm a, I, I put the base layers on. Um, I'll put my bibs on, but I'll have them wide open and I'll pack in uh, some additional layers like my big, my big jacket and uh, uh, my insulation layer. I'll actually pack those in. So my goal is to actually be somewhat cold when I get to the tree stand. And then once I climb up, I'm a little warm, throw the base layers on at the while I'm in the tree and I'm not sweating, hopefully. You know, I'm not sweating uh, and, and getting wet and then that takes time to dry and all that stuff. Um, are, do you do that or are, are you the kind of guy who wears everything in at one time? It just depends. If if I have a, a relatively short walk, I'll put on as much as I can, um, but that doesn't happen very often. Usually, I've got a pretty long jaunt into into my stand, and I'll do the same thing. Um, I'll put on uh, base layers, and then I, I wear bibs too. Excuse me, and then I'll try and pack as much as I can into my to my pack, and then get dressed while I'm by the stand, because uh, you, you don't want to sweat. That that's a, it, it you're putting out more scent, um, and then B, it, it will make you extremely cold later on in the hunt. It's, it's one of the worst things you can do, actually. Is just you know, I try and, like you said, be a little bit cold walking in, or, or at least comfortable. 
and then um, putting on my layers when I get to the stand. Yeah. All right. So you're in the stand now, and you got some food or or some water or some drinks with you. What are you packing for for snacks this time of year? Uh, water, like you said, is, is number one. I, I try to stay away from like sugar or like caffeine. Yeah. Um, it'll make you go to the bathroom more, um, which is kind of a hassle with all those layers of clothing on, but just foods as far as, um, high in protein foods, uh, beef jerky, uh, they make some protein bars out there. Um, and some, some foods that are kind of high in fat. I know fat's not good for you, but it will kind of give you some energy and, and keep you sitting for longer. Um, cause I, I don't know if, it's like with Sunuba and sitting in a tree stand is, is tiresome. It, it doesn't seem like it should be, but yeah. it really is. So if you can have that kind of extra added calories and a boost of of energy, it's it's a good thing to kind of keep your body and, and your mind going. Yeah, and that's one thing that uh, you mentioned in this article was sugar, right? Sugar burns really quick, really fast, uh-huh. and it's a short term energy. Uh, energy boost for the body as opposed to something like beef jerky, which burns that, that energy burns slower over time. And, uh, that's one thing that I've noticed over the years, not only hunting out of a tree stand, but hunting out West. When I go, like when I went to South Dakota this year, or I went to, uh, Colorado on an elk hunt, I, I don't hardly eat any sugars at all, especially in the tree stand where, uh, you know, I don't even like to drink coffee before every, like every morning I, I have a cup of coffee in my hand, but when it's deer season, I don't drink my coffee until after I get out of the stand for one reason only. And that is having to go to the bathroom, uh, and (laughs) climb down and go. And once I stop drinking coffee, I wouldn't have to do that until, you know, in between hunts where, you know, and then the same with the sugar, you know, I pound a apple pie or a, uh, you know, some heavy sugar candy bar in the tree stand. And then you, it, it's fine for a while, but then you start falling asleep in the tree stand and then that's when things go wrong. Uh, so I switch to an apple or a banana or something somewhat healthy that has a little bit longer lasting, uh, energy boost or, you know, and still, at the end of the day, it's like you said, if you're trying to sit all day in a tree stand, it, it just gets hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, I know I don't do this, but uh, some people even pack in um, a thermos yeah. and, and bring some soup with them. And it kind of warms the soul and, and the body and and will help you kind of stay warm and, and sit a, a bit longer too. Hey, I've, I've got a question for you. Yep. And it's, so I'm sorry if we're going off topic here a little bit, but we we did mention that caffeine and, and coffee is kind of a diuretic and makes you go to the bathroom more. Yeah. What is your opinion on going to the bathroom straight from your stand? Okay, good question. Uh, I do it. I do it all the time, uh, and this is going to sound crazy, but I go number one and number two from the tree. I'm not getting down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one and two one and two i'm not like i've in the past uh let's see this was this was 2009 uh you know slammed a bunch of coffee before i think it was 2009 yeah 
slammed a bunch of coffee before a rut hunt. I'm going into this bedding area where I got this giant, uh, I think he's a 10-pointer, probably Boone and Crockett class. And, oh, man, it's so money. The conditions are right. One of those high-pressure days. Sun's coming up. Gurgle, 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 gurgle. Uh, I climb <laughs> down out of the tree, go walk to the base of another tree kind of close by, drop my pants, do my duty, stand up, and guess who's looking right at me? That booner. Oh, man. That booner. And, of course, he <laughs> blows and runs away, and I didn't see him the rest of the season. Uh, so <laughs> since that day, I, if I got to go, I'm not climbing down because I am still within – you know, standing up, grab my bow real quick. And I got no, no shame in my game. I'll shoot a, I'll shoot a deer without my pants on. <laughs> do what you gotta do. That's right. I'm, I'm the same way with number <laughs> and the conversation. <laughs> I'm the same way with number one, but I don't know about number two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I actually saw a study. I was um, reading an article and it said, um, they did a study on, on this and they, they had like, um, a buck urine, human urine, and a car freshener scent. Yeah. And they would rub it on scrapes and they did studies on which bothered the deer. And it turned out that none of them really bothered deer yeah. all that much, which is kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah. So to dive into that, even we digress a little bit. Yeah, I know to dive into that a little deeper. It, it the reason is because the enzymes in urine, uh, for human urine anyway, break down so fast that uh, urine just smells like urine to them as opposed to like one minute. If you, if a deer smelled it like one minute since it since you did it versus 20 minutes, I think that enzyme breakdown is so fast that the, the, the deer really can't tell the difference really between uh, what, you did versus what a coyote did or a raccoon did or, or what a deer did. So. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. The only difference is so you got to go, go. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's what I do, man. <laughs> I'm not getting, <laughs> if I'm in a good spot and the conditions are great, I'm either waiting until I get back to the truck or I'm going right there, but I don't, I don't have to do that anymore because I don't drink uh, caffeine before a morning hunt. So. There you go. There you go. Now, what, <laughs> now what, what was this podcast about? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right. So uh, any other late season friendly reminders uh, that you want to kind of chat about? Uh, I don't think we mentioned anything about uh, maybe a little bit, but um, winter storms and, and cold snaps. Yeah. Um, they're, um, they're not the easiest to hunt through, and you probably really shouldn't hunt through a winter storm, but the time before uh, leading up to the storm and, and the cold snap and uh, you can hunt during the cold snap, but the, and then the time after winter, winter storm are amazing times because deer aren't going to be out in, in that type of inclement weather. Um, they, they know what's coming and they will be out packing on the, the calories before and after that storm um, comes and goes. So that's a really, really good time. Uh, same thing with cold snaps. Um, Look, what I've witnessed, and I don't know if it's the same with you, but they kind of tend to stay bedded a little longer during the day and, and maybe get up on their feet um, uh, later in the day yeah. uh, during the evening hours. So winter storms, uh, cold fronts coming through are, are great times to to be out um, pursuing deer during late season. Yeah. 
And I think to elaborate on that a little bit, I think a lot of it has to do with when the actual storm hits. Because let's say the storm is going to hit in the middle of the night. I've noticed that deer are on their feet trying to prepare for it and they want to get back to the bed, you know, to their bedroom uh, while it's happening. And then afterwards, it's just like, you know, they, they want to treat it as regular day as opposed to um, if it happens during the day, they may sacrifice and not move too much while the storm's going on. They may stand up and, and you know, move around a little bit, but they won't, they'll conserve energy. But then the moment that passes, they're, that night after the storm passes, they're back on their feet, just hammering those those food sources if you can find one. Yep, yeah, it's it's a really good strategy. Yeah, um, like I said, it doesn't sound like fun, but it's it's uh, smart advice is to to look for those winter storms, look for the forecast, and, and kind of plan it out. Yeah. Do you ever find your? Have you ever done this tactic before of actually, if you do find a standing uh, food source like corn, hunting in the corn at all? Uh, we never have, but um, I know people that do, and I see it on TV shows all the time. Um, that they'll, they'll kind of blend their blind in with with the corn. Is that what you're talking about, or actually still hunting? Yeah, I mean, it could be the, a com- combination. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is uh, every every year they're sustaining cornfield. It doesn't come out regardless. It's the last field they pick, regardless of when, uh, you know, what the the uh, conditions are. So one, one day, this year I didn't do it, but uh, last year I did, me and a buddy, we go into the standing food source and just still hunt it and watch. We can see the deer coming to it from it. And then it's just basically of getting in position to try to, you know, shoot something. It's a very low success rate hunt, but I feel that if you have a, if you have like a, a standing food source and there's a lot of snow in it, I think it could be, and you find where they're coming in and out of the field. I think you could really find some success still hunting from the ground. If you have the patience to do it and you do it right, play the wind, yeah, and all that stuff. It's sound advice. We actually, um, my brother and I did that one year, not during late season, but during shotgun season uh, way back when. And he, <laughs> he uh, shot his, I think a hundred 65 inch or maybe more um still hunting a cornfield unpicked cornfield and we would just kind of we would start what we need to do with the wind blowing our scent away and we would walk in about 20 yards look up and down the rows and then kind of walk back out and kind of do like a like a search grid type of approach to it and cover the whole cornfield just looking up and down the rows and and seeing if we can't see anything but yeah it, it it works yeah. And like you said, you got to have the patience to do it, and, and it can be risky. And yeah. You're going to push push something out of there uh, more than likely. So, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's kind of it, it might be one of those um, last ditch efforts. Hail Mary, last day of the season type deal. Yep, you're down by down by six, and you need a touchdown. Might as well go for it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, uh, congratulations on your uh, archery buck this year. Thanks for hopping on the podcast, man. Really appreciate the all the content that you guys are putting out through the Iowa Sportsman magazine and uh, iowasportsman.com on the website. And uh, thanks for hopping on and ch- uh, chatting late season with me today. Not a problem. Enjoyed it. <laughs>